Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is May 19th, 2023. Here I am, and there you are, and I thank you so much for joining me. This has been a crazy week, lots to talk about. Uh, But leading off the hit parade, I want to discuss an article that I just wrote for Front Page Magazine. It was published a couple days ago, May 15th. Um, And again, it focuses on, guess what, immigration and the failures of the immigration system. Um, The title of my article this time is Biden Ends Title 42, Ramping Up the Immigration Delivery System. The goal is obvious. And and indeed, this is an immigration delivery system. And what's really stunning to me is that neither political party really wants to have secure borders or effective immigration law enforcement. It's just that simple. This has been going on for decades. What Biden is doing now is so off the rails, I I can't even begin to comprehend the damage that he's done and how we clean up the mess, presuming that in two years a different president occupies the Oval Office. This administration has launched an invasion of the United States from countries around the world, including countries that are our adversaries. Our borders are our first and last line of defense. But let's be completely honest and open. This isn't about one party over the other party. Let's take a brief look at the this miserable tradition we have, politicians exploiting borders, open borders, if you will, at the behest of people who bribe them, campaign contributions or bribes, plain and simple, full stop. When a person contributes 50 or or $100 to a political campaign, they have no expectation of access. They have no expectation of anything except that they want to support a candidate they believe in, and, and that's fine. But when you have individuals, corporations, special interest groups writing checks for tens of thousands of dollars or God knows more, believe me, they're not doing it because of ideological purposes. They're doing it because they want access and they have an agenda and they want the politicians to deliver. A while back, I came up with an analogy, and I want you to think about it. Imagine we're dealing with two very wealthy people. They both have sports cars. One guy has a Lamborghini. The other guy has a Ferrari. And they love going, driving around town, zipping along, especially on a stretch of road, Uh, near a lake, let's just say. It's a beautiful lake, beautiful scenery, smooth road, smooth as a billiard table, nice gentle curves, heaven on earth for those of us uh, who enjoy driving sports cars and so forth. I'm certainly one of them. Never had a Ferrari, never had a Lamborghini, but my wonderful youngest son has arranged, now this is the second year in a row, uh, track time at an actual racetrack. So you're going through turns and, and dips in the road and overpasses, Uh, and you're driving at high speed, and there's nothing like it. Did it this last Sunday, uh, drove a Corvette. My son drove a Lamborghini. Had a blast. So I'm not alone in this. My son's not alone. 
So let's envision two mega wealthy individuals, one with a Ferrari, one with a Lambo. They get one of them gets caught. Speed limit is 50. He gets nailed for going 80. Cop pulls him over, gives him a ticket. And as the cop gets out of the car, this guy says to the cop, listen, I know I was wrong. I'm sorry. How can I make it right? The cop says, well, you can't make it right. Talk to the judge. So being arrogant and being wealthy, when the guy hands the cop his driver's license, he clips a $100 bill to it, hands it to the cop. The cop looks at the $100 bill, $100 bill, looks at the driver, pulls the driver out of the car and arrests him and charges him with attempted bribery. This guy just committed a felony giving that cop or trying to give that cop $100 because he broke the speed law. Now, his buddy with the other fancy sports car finds out what happened to his friend. He said, I'm not that stupid. The mayor is going to be running for re-election. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to approach the mayor, and I'll offer him $10,000, but he's got to increase the speed limit on that road. So if I want to go 75 miles an hour, it's legal. And he does just that, approaches the mayor, his, his people. I love the mayor. He's a great guy. I'm willing to give you a campaign contribution. But I think that the speed limits need to be modernized. Huh? So <laughs> the candidate takes the money. Mayor gets reelected. And lo and behold, two days after he's sworn in yet again for another term, the mayor has the speed limits changed on the roads. That's legal, but the $100 bribe for the cop will get you in jail. What is wrong with this picture? The point of the matter is, this goes on all the time. Maybe they're not as blatant about it. Maybe they kind of are coy about, well, gee, it would be nice if the speed limits could be changed, yada, yada, yada. And, and, and the politicians are no fools, and they know where their bread is buttered. They know where the money comes from, and they want that money, because without the money, they can't wage a successful campaign. So they become the employee of the guy writing the check. $100 to the cop gets you in jail, and $10,000 to the mayoral candidate gets you a higher speed limit. Isn't that the way government seems to work? Everything about our government seems to be for sale. In fact, I would argue that there ought to be a new cabinet position at the, in, in the federal government, that of official auctioneer, because everything is up for grabs. All you need to do is write a big enough check, and by God, you could do anything you probably want. If this isn't corruption, I want someone to explain to me what is corruption, because this sure as heck smells like corruption, doesn't it? And it is. And you would think that people run for office because they, they want certain things done to make the country better, to give the citizens a better life, a safer environment, a better education for their children, better quality of, you would think, about governance. It's not about governance anymore. It's about power. It's about influence. It's about, you have to believe, gathering up wealth. Look at the Biden family and the allegations. How many politicians go to Washington relatively poor and a few years later are multimillionaires? That doesn't happen by accident. They're not eating peanut butter sandwiches to save money, and that's how they wind up with millions or tens of millions of dollars. There's all kinds of hinky business dealings being cut 
and all kinds of money flowing one way or the other. And the people that are bribing the politicians do not have the best interests of our country or our citizens at heart. Think about that. Why would someone have to give a politician a massive campaign contribution to have the politician do the right thing? You would think the politician would automatically want to do the right thing. So the guy that writes the check or the gal that writes the check is looking to get the politician to veer off course and take an action that is not in anyone's best interest except their own. Is that not the state of affairs? You know, I I love quoting George Washington, uh, our nation's founding father. Uh, Elon Musk said something really interesting in in this screwed-up, woke environment, and I I really hope the pendulum swings. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I I didn't always agree with her, but she was a brilliant woman. She actually came from my neighborhood. uh, Three of my kids went to the high school she attended, um, and they actually have a moot courtroom at, at the high school uh, dedicated to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. If you see the documentary about her, she actually uh, was brought to the courtroom so she could see it, the Moot courtroom. I was in that Moot courtroom. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg made a very interesting observation. She said that the mascot of the United States should not be the bald eagle. It should not be, I'm sorry, yes, it should not be the bald eagle, but it should be a pendulum. Because she said it seems that throughout history, whenever some wacky group on one side or the other pushed America too far in one direction or the other, we've had the common sense to bring it back towards the center. It's a pendulum. I hope she's right, especially hope she's right this time, because what we're witnessing at the hands of what is not really the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party has been hijacked. Anybody familiar with me? You know I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. I was on a show the other day on TNT Radio. I'm going to be on again tomorrow, and I'll be doing Newsmax a week from Saturday. So I'm getting a lot of exposure, which is good, because I just want to wake people up. That's what this is about. But the host on the radio show a couple days ago said, Mr. Cutler, how can you be a registered Democrat? Do you vote for Democrats? I said, not lately. No, it's impossible, because they're not Democrats. But neither party cares about the average American. And this is what George Washington had to say when he gave his farewell address on September the 17th, 1796. And and you realize the brilliance of the founding fathers. But, of course, under the woke environment, according to Elon Musk, if you ask the average high school graduate or college student who was America's first president and what's significant about him, they will immediately tell you the first president was George Washington, and he was a slave owner. That's it, full stop. Don't need to know anything else. He owned slaves. We are suffering from a demoralization of our kids. During the Second World War, there was a woman by the name of Tokyo Rose who broadcast in English over the radio to the American troops to try to demoralize them, how hopeless their situation was and how the country didn't care about them and they should just surrender and throw in the towel. And, of course, Americans back then laughed. Well, there's lots of Tokyo Roses out there right now, and they've been highly successful. We have a woman on the Supreme Court who can't tell you what makes a woman a woman. I want you to just stop and think of the enormity of that statement. If that had been a Saturday Night Live skit five years ago, you would have scratched your head and said, this is insane. They've got to be kidding. Well, we now have a Supreme Court justice who, when during the confirmation process, was asked, can you describe a woman? Can you define what makes a human being a woman? She was stymied, couldn't answer the question, couldn't talk about 2X chromosomes, couldn't talk about 
uh, genitalia. Couldn't talk about anything. She just sat there and mumbled. Is this normal? Is this sane? How have we gotten into a hole that deep? Right? And the political parties, in, in many ways, play a role in this. The Republicans have always wanted not just cheap labor, but they wanted to cheapen labor. That's what this is about. They're, they're corporatists. And it used to be the Democrats provided a counterpoint. The Democrats used to represent the average blue-collar American, people like my dad, a construction worker, a tradesman. And as we're finding out increasingly the way the economy is going, tradesmen are coming back in style again. There's a wonderful program on Fox News uh, all about how, you know, blue-collar. Without blue-collar, we don't have a society. We don't. No roads, no railroads, no housing, no plumbing, no electricity, no anything. They actually build something. I remember my dad would take me by the buildings that he worked on, and there'd be a source of pride for both of us. And he'd say, Mike, I worked on that building. Sometimes we would go by the, a house that was going up or a building that was going up, uh, you know, week after week, and you could see it growing. It started with a big hole in the ground, the foundation, and then the cinder blocks, and then the brickwork, and, and, and so forth. It was like watching something grow, something being born, and it was just magical. And to this day, I can't walk by a construction site and hear that cacophony of, of, of all the tradesmen hammering and sawing and all those noises. I, I call it a wonderful orchestra. And the smell of the freshly dug soil, and it, it, it brings back my childhood to me. The best summer I ever had, I was 15 years old. My dad worked on an apartment house less than a mile from our home. And I used to take my bike during the summer, go to the job site. My dad was there. I would get food for the men on the job, they would tip me and I would return the soda bottles and I, I would get, you know, the deposits. So in those days, on a typical day, I'd make 10 or $15. 10 or $15 over 60 years ago was, was a considerable amount of money. The minimum wage was, I think, a dollar and a quarter back then. So if you could make 10 bucks as a 15-year-old kid, you were doing okay. But that wasn't why I did it. I did it because it meant I could spend a day with my dad. And I'll tell you, I'd give up everything to have one of those days back uh, when I was, you know, getting the lunch and depositing the bottles or returning the bottles and so forth. Parent-child relationships that the lunatic left now wants to shatter. Wants to shatter. Declaring parents who are involved with the education of their kids by going to school board meetings as being terrorists. I was the PA president of my daughter's public school. I guess that would put me on the terror watch list today. Everything that's happening is turning our country upside down. But the politicians are only narrowly focused on doing those things that benefit the people who write the checks. That's what's really happening. It's not about governance. It's about winning elections. And to win elections, they need money. Does it get worse than that? And George Washington, when he delivered his farewell address, said the following about political parties. Listen carefully. It's brilliant. However, political parties may now and then answer popular ends. They are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. Are we not describing the leadership of both political parties? It's all about power. It's all about blocking the voice of the people. 
you can't be a slave to two masters, right? And when you have leadership in the political parties, they tell the politicians what they better do and what they better say, or the party will do everything possible to make it impossible for them to run for re-election. They have a, a, a position in the Congress called the whip. And if that doesn't sound like a Tony Soprano enforcer, I don't know what does. So this is a magic act. If you ask the average American honest questions, and the pollsters always twist the questions so that you never get honest questions, or almost never, you think we should secure borders against the entry of criminals and terrorists and spies and human traffickers or, or people that would take Americans' jobs? I guarantee you most Americans would say, absolutely, we need to do that. But the politicians know that while most constituents want that, if they actually deliver on that simple demand by the people who have to vote for them, the people that write the checks will stop writing the checks. This is an employer-employer relationship. They will, in effect, be fired. So they create the illusion. That's why we're focused only on the southern border and ignoring the other borders. Not that the southern border isn't a catastrophe. It's a catastrophe beyond my worst nightmares. But you've got a northern border. You've got the 95,000 miles of coastline, aliens and cargo pouring in through international airports. But all you're hearing from the politicians and most mainstream programs, the southern border, the southern border, the southern border. It's only one hole in the bottom of our boat, but that's the only one they want you to look at. And I think that what Biden is doing, and maybe I'm wrong, but let's see. We'll, we'll know shortly. Make it so bad, so onerous. The cities are becoming overwhelmed. And here in New York, I, I couldn't believe it, the mayor was actually going to put illegal aliens in the gymnasiums of public schools. We don't know if these people are rapists or child molesters or violent or drug dealers. They were going to put them into the gymnasiums of schools. What could possibly go wrong? And then they reverse course. But now half of all hotel rooms in New York City are occupied by illegal aliens that Biden invited into the country. Just stop and think about it. You think New York is going to continue to be a major tourist destination when down the hall from you at the best hotels are people who might be criminals, rapists, lunatics, people with dangerous diseases? Who the heck is going to want to come here? People are going to want to leave. And in fact, New Yorkers are fleeing New York. They're turning it into a disaster. So I really think that what Biden is going to do, this will go on a little bit longer and then they'll say, because Mayorkas keep saying it, we need to compromise. We need Congress to act. We need comprehensive immigration reform. And then the Republicans who've wanted this all along, licking their chops, will say, well, we had no choice. We had to have a compromise. Okay, so we're going to give tens of millions of people who snuck into the country legal status and a green card, and ultimately a U.S. passport. And as soon as we give them legal status, these people can bring in every single one of their minor kids. So if you have a man who's had children with five women and has 12 kids, all 12 will immediately be allowed to come to the United States. Immediately. So let's say uh, if we legalize 25 million illegal aliens, and by the way, sight unseen, there is no way of God's green earth that you can interview 25 million. There's absolutely no way that you can do an interview and, or, or a field investigation. So somebody could come to America eight weeks from yesterday, claim to have been here for the last 10 years, and the adjudicator sitting there has no way of knowing. 
the person's going to show some utility bill. The guy has been using 15 names. We don't know who he is. And, and so the adjudicator will probably have 15 minutes to process the application. And let's not forget that when Mayorkas rent Citizenship and Immigration Services, an agency that nobody talks about, ask the average person, what, what does DHS have? They're going to say Customs and Border Protection and ICE. And they almost always leave out citizenship and immigration services. That's America's locksmith. I was an adjudicator for a year. I know how this works. And when Mayorkas ran that program, they were basically handing out the keys to the kingdom to anybody and everybody who applied for a visa. Mayorkas told his people, get to yes. I don't care what it takes. Approve, 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 or else I will fire you. I will demote you. I will hammer you on your evaluation. When an executive within the program went to him and said, by the way, legally, this guy's not entitled to a green card. He said, I don't give a damn. Approve it or else. So this person wouldn't, and she was demoted. I know. I spoke with her at length. Demoted. Why? Because she wanted to follow the law. How dare you? When the FBI went to Mayorkas and said, you're approving petitions or you're getting applications from a company for treaty investor visas, what are known as EB-5 visas, that has an affiliation with Hezbollah, we believe, do not approve the visas because these people might be terrorists. Mayorkas said, baloney, they're approved. Here they are. They're getting their visas. And now this guy is running the entire program of DHS. So I guarantee you, if we legalize 25 million, we won't know who they are. They could be here for any length of time. This nonsense. Well, if they've been living here for the last 10 years, 12 years, it won't matter. There'll be no way of determining whether they got here 10 days ago or 10 years ago or, 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 or whatever. Totally flying in the blind. And the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, found that immigration fraud, people lying on applications for immigration benefits, such as visas, green cards, citizenship, political asylum, that was the key method of entry and vetting for the terrorists. The first time I testified before a congressional hearing was May 20th, 1997, four and a half years before 9-11. What was the focus? Immigration fraud and visa fraud because of the 93 terror attacks. We all know that lying on these applications by these aliens creates opportunities for terrorists to enter the country and carry out attacks. And yet everything, everybody that we're hearing from and the journalists, both sides. Why can't Congress get together and finally solve the problem with comprehensive immigration reform? It's not a solution to a problem. That's like saying that death cures cancer, for goodness sakes. Okay? And so everyone is saying, we need to have a compromise. We need comprehensive reform. We need to modernize the immigration laws. Modernize means... The law now says that when Americans are ready, willing, and able to do the job, they must be hired. Now they want to eliminate that so that the CEO can walk into his factory, fire every American, and bring in an entire foreign workforce with impunity and without consequences. That's what modernizing means. We don't need to hire those stinking Americans. They're going to expect reasonable working conditions and living wages. The hell with them. We could bring in third-world workers by the boatload. They don't complain. They ignore the fact that they can't have a lunch hour, that they can't go to the bathroom. They'll work for one-third the wage, and we can threaten to fire them, and they won't say a word. They're compliant. And remember, there's always room for more oarsmen on a slave ship, right? So that's how they want to modernize the immigration laws. Instead of using the laws to protect American workers, 
They want to use the immigration laws to get rid of the American workers. And that is what Alan Greenspan actually said when he testified to Schumer back in 2009. He said the problem is that our immigration laws shield American workers from foreign competition. That's the problem. That's the purpose. The Labor Department used to run immigration. It was Franklin Delano Roosevelt who was really strong on this because he was trying to get America out of the Depression. And he said, look, we need to enforce the immigration laws, put it under the Labor Department, because this way no American will have to compete with a foreign worker. Number one, the Americans get the jobs. And number two, the Americans will be able to get a living wage because foreign workers will settle for much less money under terrible conditions. If you hire Americans, then they get a living wage and they can spend their money and everything is great. We can build up the economy and we can end the depression for once and for all. And by the way, when Mayorkas did a news conference when Title 42 was ending, and I really need to do an analysis in writing, one of the things he said that gave me fits was how wonderful that we're bringing in all these migrants and when they work, they send money back to their home country to support their families. He's talking about the remittances. We're losing tens if not hundreds of billions of dollars a year in money being wired out of the country by foreign workers. It hurts our economy. Think back to the um, um, Obama administration when they pumped billions of dollars into the economy, their so-called economic stimulus package. Remember that? If we pump money into the economy, the money gets spent and it creates work and jobs and it goes throughout the economy, and that's called the multiplier effect, right? If you're a shoe salesman, you sell a couple pairs of shoes, you get a commission check, you take your family to the movies, the guy that owns the theater buys a new car, the salesman in the car dealership goes on a vacation, so everyone is spending the money that they're earning and the money circulates. When a foreign worker earns a paycheck and mails it out of the country, you may as well burn the paycheck. It's lost to our economy permanently. And Mayorkas is celebrating it. How fabulous is that? Think of how great this is. All that money going back to those other countries to support the other families. If this guy... I don't think this guy could hate America or Americans more than he does. This is the first time I heard of a government official excited about remittances being wired out of our economy when we have record levels of inflation and record debt. This is insane. This is insane. And so understand what this administration is about. What they're really looking to do is to get the American people so upset with what is happening with the border, with immigration, with our cities that are now getting hammered, that they will coerce the American people into believing that the only solution is comprehensive immigration reform. All this is doing is throwing gasoline on the fire. By the way, you know, all those gotaways that we hear about, the hundreds of thousands, we don't know who they are, when, we don't know why they ran, but they ran, and no, they'll be applying for amnesty. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows when they got here. Aliens who run the border don't create a record of entry. So just imagine, let's say there's a million gotaways. Those million will now be getting green cards and a path to citizenship. How does that make you feel? Does that make you happy? Does that make you get that warm feeling, hey, my government is looking out for me and my children and my grandchildren and the future of our nation? This is insanity. This is an orchestrated invasion that violates the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. And that was the focus of my latest article for Front Page Magazine, 
I really hope you'll read it, and I hope you'll share it with as many people as possible. We the people need to understand what in the world is being done, not for us, but to us, and it's both parties. Jimmy Carter started the Orwellian nonsense. You can't use the word alien. We're going to call them immigrants because we're a nation of immigrants, and if you want to keep an immigrant out of America, you're anti-American and you're a terrible person. The term alien simply means any person that is citizen or national of the United States. There's no insult. It's like saying Charlie is a good friend, but he's not a relative because he's not part of my family. The guy's a good guy. He's here as a non-immigrant. He's here as an alien. doesn't mean he's ugly or smells bad or he's stupid. It simply means he's not an American citizen. And when we go to other countries, legally, we become aliens in those countries. This is a simple statement of reality, statement of fact. It's recognized by international law. But don't confuse these liars in political jobs with the truth or with facts. And then along comes Ronald Reagan and gives us the infamous visa waiver program, which took down a major layer of security that we depended on as immigration agents to keep America safe. Why? Because the Chamber of Commerce wants no borders, wants no visa requirements. Come one, come all. Then Reagan gave us the amnesty, never hired agents to address the problem in the first place. So what was supposed to be a million legalized aliens became three and a half to four million, but no one talked about all the family members who subsequently were able to enter the United States. So the Reagan amnesty probably ultimately involved maybe 20 million, not three million, not three and a half million, but maybe 20 million if they brought in their kids and their, and their spouses. And then when they become U.S. citizens, they can bring in all of their brothers and sisters and the families of their brothers and sisters. I, I have an easy way to look at it. It makes sense that when an alien immigrates to the United States permanently, that he or she could bring in their wives or husbands or whatever and their minor children because we travel as families. But the idea that you get a green card and then you become a citizen, and if you have 12 brothers and sisters, you can now have them come here with green cards along with all of their spouses and children is crazy so one guy becomes an american or one gal becomes an american and suddenly they could be bringing in 85 90 people they have 10 brothers and sisters they're all married each one has six kids or whatever this is nuts and by the way there's something known as a non-immigrant visa because what the politicians will say to you well it's not fair they're never going to see their family again well nobody forced them to come but that's a total lie their families can come visit them whenever and as frequently as they want. All they need to do is come as non-immigrants. And many countries participate in the visa waiver program, which means they don't even need to get a visa. But they do need to come in and, and comply uh, with, with the requirements. If you're coming under the visa waiver program, that you can't stay more than 90 days and you can't work and you can't commit crime. Those are the limitations. And, in fact, when I was an immigration inspector at Kennedy Airport, whenever we had various holidays or whatever, there'd be long lines of tourists coming to the United States from all over the world, from Latin America, from Asia, from Europe, Africa, the Caribbean, didn't matter. What was the purpose of your visit, sir? Oh, my brother became an American citizen eight years ago, and we're going to spend Christmas or Hanukkah or Easter, or, or my, my brother is getting married, and he's an American citizen, and, and so we're coming to, to, to enjoy the wedding. And they come on a tourist visa. And then they go home. It's not that they can't come here, but they don't need a green card, nor should they be entitled to a green card. Think about that. And furthermore, and, and, and this is really the kicker, 
I came up with an analogy because I like using analogies. So I want you to think of it this way. If you have health insurance, the health insurance plan only covers you and your children up to, I think it's age 26 now. Once you get kids and they're past 26, they're out of luck. So then it's just you and your, and your spouse, right? That's fair. Could you imagine if you have Blue Cross, Blue Shield, whatever insurance, it doesn't much matter. They're all, you know, the same kind of thing. And, you, and, and, and so imagine you have a brother who's 53 years old. He's got a wife and four kids. And, and suddenly they, they call the insurance company and say, listen, um, I, my, my son has appendicitis. We need you to cover the surgery. And, and, and the person at the other end of the phone says, well, wait a minute. Who has the insurance policy? Oh, my brother does. Your brother has an insurance policy, and you want us to pay for your child's appendix surgery? Well, yes, sir. That's my brother. He's got a policy. They'd laugh him off the phone, and rightfully so. Is it any less ridiculous to think that because an alien becomes a U.S. citizen that he can bring in his extended family? You may as well be asking to have them put on this health insurance plan while we're at it. So my contention is if the person could not be part of the insurance plan for medical treatment, then that person should not be entitled to a green card. Very simple. What does that mean? You become a resident alien, even if you become a U.S. citizen, the only people that you can apply to provide green cards to would be your spouse and your minor children, full stop. That's reasonable. Has anybody had that conversation? Of course not. Because this is about flooding people with as many, flooding America with as many people as possible. And, and look at the out, the reason. And that's why I call this the immigration delivery system. The more people who come here, the more that people need housing. The more people who look for housing, the more expensive housing becomes. Look at what has happened to the price of an average house. In New York City, the average house is a million dollars or more. It certainly wasn't that way when I was a kid. Why is that? Too many people chasing too few houses. So housing has come has you know gone beyond the reach of all too many Americans. There goes the American dream, right? Who's benefiting from that? Banks. Why? Because the mortgage on a million dollar house gives them more money every month than if it was a mortgage on a two hundred thousand dollar house. Right? Think about that. The more people who come here the more inflation becomes a problem. More people, more food is required, clothing, you name it. So flooding America with people is inflationary. It jacks up the price of everything. It also has a deleterious impact on education. Now imagine if we legalize 25 million aliens and the 25 million aliens apply to bring in on an average of four kids each, that means 100 million kids suddenly entering the United States, most will not speak, read, or write English, and they immediately, the day they get here, have to be enrolled in schools under our laws. Who's going to teach them? In what building? How big are the classroom sizes going to become? This is the way you crash the U.S. economy and you total the educational system, which is suffering from rot as it is. And on and on it goes. The left, it wants to call itself green. The, the only green here is money. They worry about the environment. Well, every person who comes here needs water. There's a drought. I know I've mentioned it before, but I feel compelled to mention it again. 
So if let's say Biden brought in five million, that means every day five hundred million gallons of water are being consumed by aliens who shouldn't even be here. Now Biden wants dishwashers to only use three point two gallons of water because we need to conserve water and we need to protect the environment. How about the 500 million gallons of water that are being consumed by people who have no right to be here under normal circumstances? That's a little bit more than the 3.2 gallons per dishwasher load, isn't it? The hypocrisy is off the charts. This administration wants everything electrified. Get rid of gas. Get rid of gasoline. Get rid of everything. We're going to do everything with electricity. Well, everyone who comes here flips light switches on, flips power switches on, need electricity. Where's the electricity coming from? As it is, the power grids around the country are overwhelmed. So what do we do? Bring in more people. Hey, we've got five pizza pies. Let's have a party. How many people do you want to invite? Eh, 3,000. We have five pies for 3,000? Oh, they'll have thinner slices. Does this make any sense to anybody? Absolutely not. Unless your goal is to destroy the United States, and remake it in your own image. I wrote a piece a while back in Front Page Magazine. And again, remember, I'm a registered Democrat, but these aren't Democrats. And they said that for the Democrats to succeed, Americans must fail. And we are failing. How many people are unable to pay for luxuries, like hamburger, or turning on the air conditioner? And don't worry, pretty soon we'll be told we shouldn't be using air conditioners either. Sweat to death. It's good for you. It's character building, right? It's insane. And where are the Republicans? Why aren't they talking about the need for interior enforcement to go after the illegal aliens that have been admitted when they failed to show up for hearings down the road? We're talking years from now. Because interior enforcement will also go after crooked lawyers, crooked employers, human traffickers, right? Obviously, neither party wants to do that. When Trump had both parties, right, the Republican Party for the first two years of the Trump presidency, the Republicans controlled both houses. So Trump got the money for the border wall, right? Of course not. Why? Because the Republicans didn't want a border wall. And the arguments were ridiculous. Well, if you come with a 20-foot wall, they'll come with a 25-foot ladder or they'll just dig underneath it. Baloney. You know how you get past the border wall? You have a corrupt citizenship and immigration service provide the aliens with green cards, and they walk through a port of entry, and they're embraced with open arms. Basically, again, erasing the border. Why is no one talking about citizenship and immigration services? Why is nobody talking about immigration fraud, even though the 9-11 Commission made it clear that's the problem? Why is no one talking about the fact that now that these millions of people are in the United States with hearing dates years from now, these aliens will have the ability to remain here with impunity, and among them are terrorists. And so now look at what the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel said about the idea of aliens applying for various immigration benefits as a way of staying in the country to go about deadly preparations. This is on page 98, and it's in my article. That's why I really want you to read it. I want you to share it with everybody you can, and I want you to ask the people you share it with to share it with other people. This, uh, these are the facts. This isn't conjecture. This isn't some wild idea. All I'm doing is looking at what is happening, and I'm comparing it against the 9-11 Commission report. 
We've been warned by the military that because of what happened in Afghanistan, that I've written about this previously, ISIS is now reconstituting itself. They will, according to the military, in less than six months, have the capacity to carry out international terrorist attacks in Europe and Asia, but we're told probably not America. Really? I'm not holding my breath. You have millions of people here, some of them from countries that sponsor terrorism, such as Afghanistan, that they're not going to attack here. Right. That sounds like September uh, 10, right? 2001. Oh, it's not going to happen here. In fact, I had an argument with the chief counsel for the, uh, the House Judiciary Committee prior to 9-11. I said to him, what the blank will it take? Another attack at the World Trade Center? And he told me that I was ridiculous, that I didn't understand political reality. Political reality is a bigger oxymoron than George Carlin's infamous jumbo shrimp. We had that argument on the Friday before 9-11. That's not going to happen here. Mike, come on, calm down. Calm down. Yes, they've always told me to calm down. To page 98 of the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel has the following paragraph. Listen carefully. In the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status. That's DACA, by the way. And by the way, guess who the architect of DACA was? Mayorkas. Interesting, isn't it, right? Achieving temporary worker status or applying for asylum after entry. That's what they're doing now. We have millions and millions of asylum applicants and when you listen to the reporters, oh, we have all these asylum applicants. Because when people hear the word political asylum, they get very soft and mushy and compassionate. And they should. I'm Jewish. My family was decimated in the Holocaust. Although it's remarkable that the Roosevelt administration would not allow the boat, the St. Louis, to dock in the United States. And that had lots of refugees from the Holocaust, men, women, and children, they were turned around. Okay. But now we're told, oh, we, these are asylum applicants. They don't qualify. You are not eligible for asylum unless you can demonstrate that you have a credible fear of persecution or worse because of race, religion, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or political beliefs. Period. Full stop. The fact that you live in poverty is irrelevant. Crime is a problem is irrelevant. In fact, if that was the issue, how many Americans could apply for asylum, right? Think about where we are today. It's funny. I went to Dunkin' Donuts the other day just to get some breakfast, and I decided while I was there I'd get some ice cream. So I opened up the freezer chest, and the alarms went off, and I looked at the owner. I said, what is that? Oh, people are stealing ice cream. Rampant craziness, right? I guess we should be able to get asylum. So, again, asylum is only because the person, the alien, has a credible fear that because of their race, religion, ethnicity, tribal affiliation, sexual orientation, or political beliefs, they face persecution or worse. These people don't qualify. That's like saying the homeless person who buys a lottery ticket should be referred to as an aspiring millionaire. It's crazy. But everyone, again, being misled by the use of language. This is straight out of the pages of George Orwell. So having interrupted this thing, let me go back to it, right? So they're saying that, uh, as already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. In many cases, 
the act of filing for an immigration benefit suffice to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. And now the aliens that are applying for asylum have hearing dates years from now. In New York, I understand it's more than 10 years from now. So this is a game of hide and seek. And we're going to let them hide for 10 years. Wow. How many years do we need to allow people who might be terrorists to hide in plain sight while they go about deadly preparations? A decade? Three years? Four years? We don't know who they are. We don't know where they are. And the FBI was given an infusion of emergency funding to the tune of $15.3 billion, uh, million dollars, um, uh, under the um, spending bill from the Democrats. For what purpose? To hunt down the Afghans that the Biden administration let in when chaos ensued in Afghanistan. And it was helter-skelter, people clinging to airplanes. And we admitted God knows how many thousands of people from Afghanistan without really vetting them. Wow. Wow. So now we're going to look for them. And as we're looking for them, we're dumping how much more hay into the big haystack while we look for deadly needles. And how many more deadly needles are in the hay that's being dumped on America every day by the Biden administration? So that was the focus of my article, because with the expiration of Title 42, and I know they're saying, well, the the numbers are going down. I'm sorry. You lie to me every day in the week, and now I'm going to believe you're telling me the truth? No. And why is it that the Republicans only want to hire Border Patrol agents? Why aren't they talking about the need to hire ICE agents? So I come back to it again, because ICE agents would be able to locate crooked lawyers and crooked employers, probably people making campaign contributions. So it's the magic act. We're going to hire more Border Patrol. The problem is the Border Patrol, they, they do important work. And I went to Border Patrol Academy when I hired on. Everybody did back then. The Border Patrol job is limited to interdiction. Their job is to secure the border. Their job is not to do interior enforcement. They do not go after crooked employers unless it's ranches and farms along the border, okay? They do not conduct fraud investigations. They do not join the Joint Terrorism Task Force. They are not part of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force where I spent the final 10 years of my career. Where is the Border Patrol? on the border. Once aliens get past the border, the Border Patrol mission ends. Whether the alien is admitted through a port of entry, whether the alien runs the border, whether the alien comes ashore along our coastline and then disappears into the night, the Border Patrol mission ends after you get past the border. So what's the solution? ICE. How many ICE agents do we have? About 6,000. And most of them, because of the way George W. Bush put DHS together, most of them aren't even doing immigration work. They're going after kiddie porn. They're going after money laundering. They're going after intellectual property theft. They're going after anything and everything but immigration. And during campaign season, when the Secret Service needs more manpower, guess what? ICE agents back up the Secret Service to protect the president and political, cam- uh, and political candidates. So in reality, maybe we got 2,000 ICE agents for the whole country. And right now we have close to 200,000 IRS agents. 
So the government is obviously far more concerned about whether or not Americans are paying their taxes than if terrorists or criminals are entering the United States. We've really got our priorities straight. A number of years ago, I was on with Neil Cavuto, and Neil said to me, he said, Mike, uh, when will you be happy that our immigration laws are finally being enforced adequately? And I thought about it. They said, Neil, when an alien who receives correspondence from the DHS is as concerned as you or I would be about correspondence from the IRS, then I will agree that our immigration enforcement program is adequate. And Neil went wild. He said, wow, that's brilliant. They couldn't have imagined a better analogy. But it's true. The IRS is all about making sure Americans pay their taxes. But immigration? Who cares? There are far too many people making out like bandits by flooding America with, number one, clients for immigration law firms. And there's lawyers from, the, from immigration on both sides of the aisle, right? Flooding America with clients for realtors. Clients for these NGOs, these non-government organizations that are laughably referred to as non-profits even though they get hundreds of millions of dollars in government contracts. Think about that, nonprofit. An unlimited supply of foreign tourists, an unlimited supply of foreign students. My goodness, this is one hell of an immigration delivery system, and anybody who wants to interfere with it really inherits a whirlwind. And, and by the way, who did that? Donald Trump. Now, does that mean I agreed with everything Donald did or said? No. But he was the first president, maybe since Kennedy or Eisenhower, who understood the significance of sovereignty. Sovereignty, the S word that infuriated leaders from all over the world. The S word, sovereignty. How dare you believe that countries are entitled to sovereignty? So please read that article. Then you've got the Durham report showing that the FBI actually had no justification to investigate Donald Trump. Now, this is a big deal. This shouldn't happen to anybody, but here we're talking about a presidential candidate and then a sitting president. And you had people like Adam Schiff running around. I saw classified documents, and he did it. There were no classified documents. He lied. How in the world can he stay in Congress lying like that? And again, I'm a Democrat. These aren't left-right issues. You have to have integrity. When Richard Nixon came up with his notion, by the way, of a political enemies list that he was going to weaponize the Internal Revenue Service, the Republicans went nuts. And when the Watergate situation came out, it was the Republicans who told him he needed to leave, not the Democrats, the Republicans. When George W. Bush created the Department of Homeland Security in violation of the Homeland Security Act, it was the Republicans who called me and said, Mr. Cutler, we need you to come to Washington to provide a counterpoint to what the president is doing with immigration. The Republicans. And I remind you, Bush was a Republican. And then I have friends who are Republicans, and they say, well, he was a neocon, right? What does that mean, right? He was a rhino, Republican in name. No, he's not. He was the leader of your party, okay? Don't make him sound like he was a minor player. The president of the United States is the leader of his or her party, period. Stop the bull. Stop it. Stop being stupid and following blindly any leader that aspires to that level of power. People that are that power hungry are dangerous, and even if I agree with them and think they're likable people, I mistrust anybody who seeks that level of power. And after a while, the power becomes addictive. Uh, you know, power corrupts. 
absolute power corrupts absolutely. And Orrin Hatch, shortly before he passed away, said what? No one can go to Washington and stay honest. Okay? But it was the Republicans, to their credit, who called me up repeatedly, and the conversation was kind of like, what did he do now? Well, we gave him enough money to hire, you know, 800 new ICE agents and 2,000 Border Patrol agents and 8,000 detention beds, and he's only willing to to set aside the money for 1,700 detention beds and 210 Border Patrol agents and 143 ICE agents. Would you like to come and testify about why this is so dangerous? Of course I did. But who invited me? The Republicans. Why in the world aren't the Democrats standing up to Biden and saying you've launched an invasion against the United States? You're doing irreparable damage to national security, public safety. You're doing irreparable damage to America and Americans. You're right. This should be about people who sought positions in our government for the public good. We have young men and women joining the military, laying their lives on the line, coming home if they come home at all, grievously injured, some never coming home, first responders are the same deal, willing to lay down their lives for the, for the common good. And all that the politicians can think about is how do I get my next campaign contribution, my next bribe? Imagine if I went to work and did that. I wasn't allowed to accept a cup of coffee on duty. And when they talk about who's running for what office, the first thing you hear from the media how much money they've amassed, because that's how you know if they're a serious candidate. How many bribes did they take? How many people are they beholden to? How many special interest groups do they work for? Because that's what's really happening. That's what's really happening. And then finally, I was watching the FBI agents and the whistleblower, the, the whistleblowers, and some of the nonsense that was perpetrated on them, I experienced because I was at war with my own agency. When you work for the government and you're not a, quote, team player, uh uh-oh, look out. Look out. These people are relentless and they are vicious and they could not care less about anything. And it doesn't matter if you rode with them as your partner. Once they become part of management, they think that they now are sitting on top of Mount Olympus. And it's a whole new ballgame. Seriously. Seriously. I actually had a supervisor that I knew for years. He was dying of prostate cancer, called me up literally on his deathbed and apologized to me for having made my life miserable because, as he put it, after all you did, Mike, I thought that my bosses expected me to give you a tough time, even though you were the best agent in the squad, even though we were friends for years. And he said, if I go to hell, I belong there. It was a tough conversation. We literally cried together. And three days later, I got a phone call. I was told he died. If you wonder how the Holocaust happened, that's how it happens. When I first hired on as an INS agent, most people who wound up in management position had many years on the job. They were experienced. They had all kinds of connections and insight. They were walking encyclopedias. And they perhaps had gotten banged up making enough arrests. You know, it's a contact sport. I screwed my knee up. Everybody gets hurt if you're going to do this work. Some get hurt more than others. And then they're thinking, well, if I get a promotion, my pension goes up a little bit, my paycheck will go up, and I can work with the new kids and help them to to develop as, as effective agents, which is very admirable. 
Now what you see in many of these agencies are the people that are being put into management positions are on the job just a couple of years. They've made no cases. They have very little experience, but what they do have is an appetite for promotion, and they want to get to the top of that ladder as fast as they can. They think this is a race, and it's a race to the top, and they will trample and stomp on anybody who gets in their way. And that's where we are, and that's a very dangerous set of circumstances. And when you give power to people in law enforcement without controlling that power, without establishing clear moral guidelines, you could have a catastrophic situation. And that's what we're seeing with the FBI, I believe. I had desks at the FBI, ATF, DEA, had a desk at the FBI for 10 years. And many of those men and women were terrific to work with. They became friends of mine. But when you give people power and the people that were gravitating toward the management positions very often, that's all they were about. It wasn't about being an agent to make the big cases, but being a manager and how high can I go and how fast can I get there. I'm willing to go along to get along. When that happens, we all suffer and democracy suffers and criminal justice suffers. And a final thought, if you watch what's going on in some of the most prestigious law schools, law is all about debate. You have one side versus another side. You have expert witnesses equally credentialed on both sides. It's a debate. I did debating in high school and college. I used to argue bail to the U.S. attorneys. You now have law students at prestigious universities who will become attorneys. They will become judges. Perhaps they will wind up on the Supreme Court or have other high positions within the judicial system. And they shout down judges who speak at their universities if it's against their narrative, if it's a position that they disagree with. Debate is an inherent component of law. If you can't deal with debate, what are we going to do? Dispense with trials because we all know that so-and-so is guilty? I fear that our criminal justice system is crashing and burning and it's happening at the university level, and it will ultimately infect the entire system, and, and it's happening across a broad spectrum of disciplines. But in law, it's particularly troublesome because, again, these kids are going to grow up to be lawyers and judges and, and CEOs of corporations. We need to pull it back from the edge, folks, because we really stand at the precipice. Lots of challenges, lots of dangers to this great republic, and we, the people, must be up to the challenges of getting our voices heard and having rational, fact-based conversations with our neighbors. Don't use idiotic terms like bleeding heart liberal, because we all want friends who are compassionate. But as Americans, we should make certain that the compassion first and foremost applies to our fellow American of every race, every religion, and every ethnicity. And there's nothing liberal about the cancel culture. Now, these are not the Democrats that I signed up with. This is a new, dangerous party. I thank you for joining me. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend coming up. Please remember to get involved because democracy is not a spectator sport. Share the link to the podcast of this program and my articles with as many as you can. Be part of my bucket brigade of truth. And I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long, everybody.